Hello and welcome to the podcast for the Foundation for Science and Technology. I'm Gavin Costigan and this week we're talking about the ethics of using artificial intelligence in policing. With me to discuss that is Tom McNeil, Strategic Advisor to the West Midlands Police and Crime Commissioner and a member of the Strategic Policing and Crime Board. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much for having me here. So the West Midlands Police and Crime Commissioner has set up an ethics committee how has that committee been established and how does it work? I mean, the starting point was we knew West Midlands Police wanted to engage in some new areas of work, new areas of technological innovation, which could attract controversy, and, and rightly so. Uh, and that was mainly uh, predictive analytics using artificial intelligence. So what we definitely knew we had to do to pay very, very close attention to what they were doing. So first we just kind of really engaged in some of the debates and the stakeholder forums about what, what are the issues around here, what are the big ethical concerns, what are the ben potential benefits, uh, and we quickly realised that there were a lot of concerns so we thought okay well we have to act quickly. So we could have carried on I think philosophising but first we just wanted to start with some meaningful oversights. So we set up uh, a new ethics structure and we engaged with a lot of uh, stakeholders including some of our kind of bigger more typical critics of some police activity in the civil society world. And in a nutshell, the ethics body is this. It's a committee of independent experts. And I'm happy to talk in a while about the kind of the diversity of perspectives that brings. And key here is everything they deliberate, all the different AI project proposals that come to it are transparent. We publish the papers, we publish the advice, we publish dissenting views in the minutes. We keep up that oversight so we don't see a project proposal once. You know, we really continue with its journey to make sure it's either uh, consistent with the advice we've given it or to see whether it brings up new complications as it goes down the road. But I think aside from all sorts of other kind of more technical uh, governance perspectives, probably the most integral component to this is that the committee really has teeth. So if we have serious concerns about, say, a predictive model that predicts youth violence, that we either have concerns over its accuracy or how it might be deployed in the real world, we can actually advise that it doesn't go ahead. And although it's not the committee's choice to, to choose whether to take the advice or not, it then goes to the Police and Crime Commissioner and the Chief Constable to, to make a determination. But all of this will be extremely public. So civil society and members of the public will see that these debates are going on. So I'm sure we'll get into some of the different structures that you've talked about as we go on. But just let me take you back to where you were starting about artificial intelligence in policing. What are the kinds of challenges that the police face that potentially could be helped with some of these new technologies? It's such an important question because we know that policing society isn't perfect, but we also know that policing also tackles some of the most kind of harrowing challenges that exist in the world, sadly. And the police are faced with very real threats or challenges around human trafficking, modern day slavery, just serious organised criminality of a variety of kinds, serious money laundering, you know, international transportation of weapons and heroin and crack cocaine. These things do exist. Uh, and some of those are really, really hard to grapple with. And actually, the police are struggling to. So it is really right that we explore the use of artificial intelligence and other technology to tackle it. It doesn't necessarily mean there is going to be a silver bullet available in this tech, but we really do have a duty to explore it. And I think some elements of it are, are realistically going to support these areas of policing. 
So can you give an example of how AI could potentially help to tackle some of these serious crimes that uh, are very difficult in sort of regular policing? Yeah, so I mean, what, what is termed regular policing um, is a debate in its own right. People <laughs> obviously know about, you know, responding to, to burglary or, or responding to domestic abuse. Um, but regular policing also involves tackling what is actually quite widespread, um, you know, serious underground criminality and quite secretive criminality around kind of enforced slavery. And actually, because of the controversies, controversies around AI, it's focusing on some of those really, really high harm, serious, unambiguously serious crimes that everybody in society agrees. There's no ambiguity that people committing this need to be held to account urgently. That's why some of the AIs focus on these issues. And a great example of that is the modern day slavery uh, use case, which, which is very publicly being de developed by Westminster Police as we speak, on, on behalf of the police forces, I should add, and it's being funded by the Home Office. And that really is trying to help police use AI to bring all sorts of disparate intelligence information about Monday slavery, which is hard to build up a coherent picture, particularly when you might have thousands and hundreds of logs where there just simply isn't the, the, the people, time and power to pull those together into a coherent picture. Use of AI can actually bring those together and link events and therefore give police an opportunity to focus their investigations on, on activity. So that's a, a real world example of a core policing issue. It's still in development. There's still lots of serious questions around its ethics and also how useful it's actually going to be. Uh, so you mentioned the ethics um, and earlier talking about the committee, you mentioned balancing some of these issues. So what are the potential downsides of uh, the police using AI? Yeah, OK, so AI can be inaccurate. Uh, and so if it's inaccurate, then you could have serious injustices caused by the interventions that follow. So where that applies, that's a clearly a serious downside. So the technology has to be really fit for purpose in the question it's seeking to answer. And I think there will be a lot of ongoing debate around that for a long time. I suspect society will get an awful lot better at it. So I think that downside is something that can be mitigated to an extent going forward. Another, another major thing, and lots of you know, key commentators are starting to talk about this a lot, is the context in which it will be used. So you can have a really excellent uh, AI tool in an accuracy sense, but could that mean it's going to really aid the efficient uh, kind of rounding up of, of vulnerable people who were caught in criminality, uh, but not, they're not bad people. They've had a real um, journey to what's taken them there, a potential life hardship getting them there. And the solution is not necessarily a good um, criminal justice solution, it might be something much more public health orientated, but will AI uh, arrive on the scene quicker than our appropriate public health response and push young people into a criminal justice system, which quite frankly is often not really working for society and the disproportionality issues kind of raised by the Lamy review are a really good example of that. So I, I would say that they're some of the major downsides. You talked about having independent uh, experts on the Ethics Committee. How on earth does the Ethics Committee weigh up some of the real potential benefits versus some of these potential downsides? I mean, part of that, quite frankly, is recruitment. 
So, and I, and I certainly don't mean, oh, you pick out people who are going to say the things you want. Certainly not. We, we have looked for people who are prepared to be agitators and devil's advocate. But we're also looking for people who do have quite a complex and nuanced view of the world and are able to, to assess the fact that, firstly, although policing might not be perfect, it's certainly not awful. And the UK should be really proud of lots of its policing practice. But, e but equally, there are major social challenges of the day where the criminal justice system isn't working. And we were looking for people who understand that there's those difficult conflicts. Um, and then from another perspective, uh, and I don't want to sound too technical by talking about the terms of reference, but we were very keen that people understood them when they came to embark on what the ethics body was. It very explicitly says this is to be a pragmatic body. Now, we know ethics committees in all sorts of contexts, including other policing examples, you can kind of come together and become another talking shop and may raise really important philosophical issues or, or even practical ethical issues. But unless it's geared towards coming towards useful advice and a pragmatic way forward, you know, including, OK, well, if there can't be complete agreement whether this goes ahead, well then, can you then help us think about what, uh, what the right safeguards and you know, operational governance around, around this kind of AI should be? So we really promote a culture of pragmatism as well. And because you publish all of the uh, advice that comes out of the Ethics Committee, putting that in the public domain will potentially put a focus on some of those issues that weren't on those issues before. How have you found the response from the press, from the uh, local public, from community groups in the West Midlands? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because we've got so many, and I don't mean in a political sense, I mean in a broader sense, so many different constituents to think about. So civil society, for example, and, and here I'm kind of talking about, you know, Amnesty and Liberty and, you know, many different um, groups are very vocal on these issues. For a long time, I think they probably weren't necessarily trusting of what, what we were doing because they wanted to see whether it actually followed through on, on serious concerns. Did the committee have teeth? Um, and we've seen that our transparency and the approach we've taken and that we're clearly not, not there just to usher projects through under the veneer of scrutiny they have responded very positively to, to that kind of um, that, uh, transparency. And members of the public is a more complicated thing to talk about because what I've always acknowledged and known is we don't have thousands of people in the West Midlands or outside the West Midlands uh, eagerly waiting to see what else is downloaded onto the Westminster Police and Crime Commission <laughs> website. And I oh, I find that hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, well, I may well be wrong. Um, and then, of course, we put things on uh, our social media, you know, whether it's the Commissioner's Twitter feed, Facebook, and, you know, all, all the different kinds. But again, we're not naive to think that we've got thousands, for example, of young people eagerly following now, and they, they might be more interesting things to follow. So we know that there isn't a huge mass public awareness about this. So for, with that, we're really grateful for organisations like, like the Ada Lovelace Institute, which I know you've engaged with already, who are meaningfully trying to garner public opinion in, in you know, forums where you really, really deliberate and get into the, the depth of these issues. So you really welcome that. We're really glad that the media are picking up issues over controversial uses of AI, including our own. Um, 
but in terms of mass public engagement and actually um, meaningful information and education around the complicated issues that that is a long-term journey that lots mm. of actors in this space need to be thinking about and I mean everybody government academia everybody because um, a lot of people will still be in the dark and wh where they do hear about it it might be alarmist headlines um, and I think the final point on this some of the media attention we've attracted as you would expect has been slightly more alarmist than it probably deserves. For example, I think Westminster Police are considering some controversial AI, but most of that controversial AI is very much at design stage. And this mm. public um, transparency about the critique of that is saying, well, you know, we don't think it should go ahead yet. And the police saying, yes, we agree, we need to go away and work it through. But the headlines might depict a dystopian, um, activity going on on the streets already and it's not not really that way yeah no i can see that but luckily if you have your uh, all of your minutes uh, and everything out publicly you have a place to guide people to if uh, if they do follow up Absolutely. yeah um now you mentioned uh, earlier one of the potential downsides uh, is that ai can just be inaccurate um, and obviously algorithms have had a bit of a bad press recently with uh, A-levels and, and GCSE results and so on. How good are the algorithms used in some of these AIs used by the police? And how did the ethics committee know the accuracy of them? Yeah, no, really good questions. So I think first off with the ones we've been looking at, I think it is fair to say um, we know they're not that accurate yet because they've tested it on um, kind of historic data um, to test within its own within its own data sets you know using even more historic data to test some of the more up-to-date data to see how accurately it predicted certain things and the accuracy rate isn't very high I have to say that that itself brings in an ideological debate what where what does a good accuracy rate look like for example if you're talking about thousands of people who aren't receiving any intervention, would a 50% accuracy rate actually really increase our knowledge of, for example, young people might commit serious violence? My personal view is that given the, the risk of injustice or the, the complications around labelling young people and what a lot, a lot of evidence show around that, that's not nearly good enough. And, and in any event, it then follows, okay, well, what are the ethical issues around the actual interventions? But there is an ongoing debate around that. For now, I don't think we're there. But I think it is important to say that as we move forward into the future, I find it inconceivable that this stuff won't get much more accurate where it isn't already. Mm. Um, and that then brings us into, you know, the more complicated end of the debate, which is the social context in which it is used. And that's why I'm really glad these debates are being, having that, being had now. Yeah. Uh, it means we can get to a point where we say, well, you wouldn't want to ignore something that was incredibly accurate and more accurate than humans, if that's where we get to. So then we need really, really well thought out, robust frameworks around what, what are we allowed to do with that information? And is it nearly always positive? And if so, a lot of the ethical concerns and risks do start to drift away, in my view. And those frameworks, do they need to be set in legislation? Are they things that uh, can be determined by organisations like the Ethics Committee themselves? With law, you always need that balance of 
the flexibility in the principles of the law, like the flexibility that you get with human rights. So you're going to the core of what's happening rather than something being really prescriptive for circumstances you cannot envisage from the outset. But equally, there are some uses of AI that we know people wish to use soon, which I do think needs specific legislation. And to be specific, I think we do need new law, which draws out specific red lines for how you shouldn't use live facial recognition on, on the streets of, of the UK. And, and to be more specific, I think if we can make sure it is really accurate, and I think legislation should set this out, if we can make sure that facial recognition is really accurate, that there's no uh, bias and discrimination between you know, gender and ethnicity uh, or any other protected characteristics or things that give rise to serious concern. If it's essentially 100% accurate, then I think it should be reserved for the most serious crime. And I think we should set out what those crimes are. And I think that starts to give the public real clarity over when the police are using it, how they're using it. And I think the vast majority of people would then know they could go around their daily lives knowing that they are not being subjected to facial recognition technology. I guess one of the issues with facial recognition technology is that it's one of those things where you don't give your consent, uh, your image is captured, and on the basis of that, your identification is, is made um, without, your, without your consent. So the question is, as well, what happens to the data? Uh, what happens to the knowledge that at least the system has that you were there on on that time if you have nothing to do with the investigation at what point is the data deleted or removed or whatever is that all something that needs to be included yeah well I think definitely is the answer to that uh, my general understanding is that um, with the kind of uh, examples we've seen in the UK already that that data isn't stored Mm. Uh, you know in fact it's kind of almost instantly removed and I, and I know a lot of people were more comfortable with that position and you know all these debates need to be had you know if there's really there's reasons I've not even thought about about why data should be stored then you know obviously um, I would be prepared and sure others to, to hear out what those arguments are but I can't see a good one now and therefore I would envisage kind of legislation to, to kind of stipulate that. To what extent are the police reusing technologies that are being developed for other organizations and other purposes and to what extent uh, is there research going on that is specifically uh, developing AI for police uh, work? I mean I can't pretend to be an expert in technology generally speaking but from from what I do know about Westminster Police's activities and other police forces I think the majority of it has been developed in other industries and other sectors and is now being applied to policing. Um, perhaps often simply down to, to kind of a resourcing um, context. So for example, I'm sure many large organizations have really excellent uh, geographical mapping tools, you know, mm -hmm. to, to literally visualize, you know, where certain activities are going on. Um, and I know that that is now something that Westminster Police are really engaging with and it will be really useful. But I think that is a reapplication. Um, I think you've got things like chatbots that we're starting to use, uh, for obviously never for serious crime. And you know, if somebody comes to speak to the police online and there's any kind of serious criminality, a chatbot is not used, just to be clear. But chatbots are helping uh, to work with 
you know, really kind of lower level concerns or less urgent concerns mm. and then provide solutions quite quickly based on kind of um, uh, institutional memory and use of AI. That clearly is being used by, by industry. So I think in most cases, it's something that's already been used, you know, by, by commercial sectors. Obviously, where we're looking at predictive policing, these are tools being specifically built for policing. But my understanding is that they're always using uh, data science techniques that, that already exist, uh, either in academia, but, but also the commercial sector. I would just like to add there, it's one of my big concerns, really, that, that some in this space, some data scientists in this space, think that you can use some of the behavioural prediction techniques in business, the business world, to predict far more complex human behaviour in something as complex as why people commit crime. But it's certainly not to say it can't be done. Yeah, but that, I guess, is why you need to have an ethics committee to debate exactly how these things might pan out. Yes. Yeah. To what extent is the West Midlands Police and Crime Commissioner and the West Midlands Police Force uh, leading the way in this area? How are you sharing with other police forces? Yeah, I think Westminster Police are leading in, in a few ways. One, I think we're one of the only forces to have established um, our own analytics lab. So very specifically to bring in external data scientist uh, expertise to start developing these kind of models. There may be others out there, but I think this is the... So you might have kind of um, data science resource in other police forces, but this is a very specific kind of department which they have long-term plans for. Westminster Police is also leading on the national projects that I mentioned before, the National Data Analytics Solution, uh, which is on behalf of other police forces. So by design, they will be sharing um, uh, all the know-how. I mean, it is for them as well as, as, well as it is for, for us. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's all sorts of professional police networks. And I know Westminster Police engage with those heavily. I think ethics-wise, we really are leading the way. Um, I know lots of the police forces are now starting to take this really seriously, so we're looking at setting up their own bodies. Um, but the fact that we ourselves have kind of overseen the national project uh, on behalf of the forces, I think puts us in a place where we're really, really keen to continue helping other police forces. Um, and we would like to kind of upscale what we're doing so that we have a bit more of a systematic coordination across police forces so that really you shouldn't be able to proceed with this kind of technology without it going through something like what we've put in place. And we're willing to step up to help provide uh, um, a service, if you like, where, where there's currently a gap. Yes, and you, and you can see uh, the media and potentially the public worried if there are very different regimes in different parts of the UK. Yeah. Um, one final question then, looking into a, a crystal ball, where do you think we will be in the next two years in terms of uh, greater use of artificial intelligence by the police? I think that there is a real growing consensus that ethics oversight of new technology needs to be um, bolstered. So I do think in the next two years, you're going to see a lot more uh, ethics oversight and debate within far more police forces around the use of AI. But equally, I think that will be coupled with more exploration of the use of AI. <laughs> the two go hand in hand. Um, and I also think that a lot of data science organisations see police forces as, you know, a, a new market for, for this area. So I imagine you're just 
going to be a lot of buzz and activity in it, you know, for, for good or, or for bad. And I also think some of the stuff we've already mentioned around the A-level um, kind of debates in the media, I think that has uh, brought AI in the public sector to, to an elevated place. And so I think you may also see far more uh, parliamentary interest in, in AI and policing and more broadly in the next few years. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see. Fantastic. Uh, Tom McNeil, thank you very much. No, thank you. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Tom McNeil, Strategic Advisor to the West Midlands Police and Crime Commissioner. You can find all of our podcasts, plus video recordings of all our events and all of our blogs, on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. This includes our event from January 2020, focused around facial recognition technology and the ethics of using it. My guest next week is Professor Judith Petz, Vice-Chancellor of the University of Plymouth, and we'll be discussing the new academic year for students in the time of COVID.